welcome to the Child of a Library podcast, where we discover the words on our shelves and in our hearts. After a little collaboration intermezzo, here we are, back to an episode in the usual style. And today's topic is very exciting, because today I will not only be talking about books as a medium, but also about movies. Maybe a little background to why I chose this topic. Over the past five years, I have managed to build myself a good stack of red books and I can use that to recommend to people or, like right now, to create bookish content. But, you know, your own time can only be spent once. So what happened when I built my internal library is that movies and series, at least the ones that are widely deemed popular, were never really on my radar and I did not watch them. This was also due to me back then not being a member of any on-demand services. Can you imagine that there was a time <laughs> like that? It's crazy, you can't really, really imagine that you ever never were subscribed to one of these services, it's crazy. But you know when you are busy doing sports or going to university or doing I don't know what and you're often out and about, a book is always there for you, no matter your internet connection and electronic services. And to be honest, if you're not subscribed to an on-demand service and you don't know a series, do you just buy an expensive Blu-ray set without knowing you are really into it? I don't think so. At least for me, that never was the case. So there's always been a, so to say, black void <laughs> where popular movies and series should reside. But I'm happy to say that over the past years, that started to change when I met my now fiancé, because he is the exact opposite. He has a very extensive knowledge of movies and series, but not so much in books. So as much as we have similar interests in other departments, we really complement each other here, which has been great for us both. So ever since we met, he has taken it upon himself to transform me from my novice state when it comes to these mediums to at least a fair knowledge of the basics and classics. But each of us still remains the expert in their field. So when it comes to judging possible book to movie adaptations that would be great, it would be my opinion. But when it comes to thinking what films out there would also have been great books if they do not already have a book as a basis, it is more his forte. As we are talking a lot about this anyway, I thought it would be fun to sit down together and think about some of the best cross-media adaptations. So this is what we are going to cover today. Let's start with the movies that would also work very well as books. And mind you, some of these got screenplay books after their cinema debut, but we did not count these as already existing book adaptions. We really thought of these stories taken away from the movie aspects and transformed into their own new thing that can stand alone, so to say. I hope that made sense for everyone outside of our thought bubble. I'm sorry. The first one we instantly thought about that we both saw and found to be really really good is the movie Memento directed by Christopher Nolan. It is already quite old from the 2000s but when I saw it in 2016 it was still so great. I think crime movies can really benefit from growing older sometimes because old crime movies always have a special charm. But what is it about? It is a crime story, as I already said, following a main character with enterograde amnesia. 
meaning that he cannot form new memories. He remembers things from the past very clearly, like that his wife was murdered when two men broke into his house. But everything that happens to him now, he will forget after a few minutes. This particular circumstance also has a big impact on how the story is told, because it is actually quite complex with two narrative streaks. One is depicted in black and white on screen that runs in the correct flow of time, and then the other is in color where the scenes take place against the natural flow of time. Don't get me wrong, this is not one of those crime movies that really suck you in, but they are very easy to follow. No, 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 no. You really need to have your wit together to fully get behind this one. But the way how we claw ourselves from the present to the past and find out what really happened and learn so much about the main character, it is just masterfully done and really has left a mark on both my fiance and me. And to be honest, a book adaption would work fantastically. And we were actually quite surprised that it was not based on a book. You could work with different fonts in the chapters going forward and going backward to distinguish the two. I saw this done before with books with the dual point of view and that worked really well. So I could totally imagine that. And it would be one of those books that you cannot read bit by bit over the course of several months because you will forget so much of the story. But it is perfect for a rainy fall weekend where there's not much to do so that you can sit down on your couch and really get immersed in the story for one to two days and really work your way through it. And to be honest, you probably wouldn't make it to day two because you would stay up all night to find out what happened because it gets so thrilling and exciting towards the end. The second movie that would make a great book is a sci-fi story called Inception, which was also directed by Christopher Nolan. I start to see a pattern here. <laughs> And this one probably is a bit wider known than Memento, simply because Leonardo DiCaprio was starring as the main role. This story centers around the scientific ability to manipulate a person's consciousness through dreaming together. And this sounds very abstract, I know, so I will try to explain it a little bit better so it's easier to grasp. The main key story element of this movie is that Leonardo DiCaprio, as the main character, needs to plant an inception in another person's consciousness, which means he needs to plant a thought in the person's head so that when they wake up, they will think that this is their own thought and very potentially take that action. Just think on that for a moment. If we could really have a hand in the dreams of the powerful people in the world and make them act to our advantage without them even knowing that they were influenced. I mean, wow. <laughs> Let's not think about that too long because that becomes very scary very quickly. <laughs> to be honest, when you watch that movie, the way how they enter a person's consciousness and the situation they put themselves into is quite bizarre when you see it. But when you sort of leave the real world and enter into the dreamscape of the target person with them, you get so immersed as they battle their way through the different layers of consciousness and try to fulfill 
their mission. There's of course so much more to this movie and here I cannot even barely scratch the surface of the rough plotline. But as I think that knowing as little as possible about the exact happenings of the story or the exact rules of entering a dreamscape works best for everyone seeing the movie for the first time, I will just leave it at that here. And to give you another vouch for how good this movie is, this is one of the movies where my fiancé says that he wishes to be able to wipe his memory in order to be able to see the movie again for the first time without knowing its ending. It is truly excellent, guys, and in the hands of a very skilled science fiction author would work so well as a book. Coming in at number three, we have another movie that was absolutely awesome, but also a little frightening because it was not so absurd or far away as you might hope. And that was Ex Machina, directed by Alex Garland and starring Alicia Vikander in the lead role as an artificial intelligence that has a full body and speaks, moves and acts very human. She was designed by the creator of Blue Book, which is an equivalent of another very popular social media platform in our world. But of course, he has not presented this fascinating, let's call her creature for now, for the moment, to the public yet. Just imagine the headlines that that would create. But he offers a programmer called Caleb the chance to work with him on his studies about artificial intelligence. And things really spiral from that point in the movie. This movie was so well done. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time, but we both could also imagine so well that this could make such a fantastic book adaptation. Possibly one where you shift points of view and you also get an insight on the AI's thinking. I think that would be so interesting. And as much as we feel that the movie adaption would make an awesome standalone novel, the end could really lead to sequels that are not further expanded on in the movie realm, but could very well open up a whole new sphere for this story bookwise. I will leave it at these three. For now, we can highly recommend all of them to watch. Not only because of the great acting, which leads us to believe they would make fantastic character adaptions in books, but also because of their plot that keeps you on the edge of your seats that would be real page turners and would keep you up reading at night, possibly. Now you might be thinking, Mareike, this is not really a diverse list. You have two sci-fis and one crime adaption. Where are the romance contemporaries or the horror movies? Well, first of all, welcome to this podcast. If this is the first episode you listen to, you will not know this yet. But I love reading science fiction and fantasy and my fiancé is a big action, crime and sci-fi fan. He also watches horror movies, but I can never watch these with him because I'm a chicken. I know. <laughs> so I cannot give my opinion on those. So we exclude them here. And concerning contemporaries, the little challenge we ran into is that in order to do this exercise, there should not be a novel basis for the film already out. And unfortunately, this is the case for quite a few really good contemporaries. But on top of that, we need to have seen the movie that is not based on a book already. So these two factors massively contribute to the pool to choose from growing very, very small. This is just a short list of movies that came to our minds instantly 
recently because they were so good, regardless of the genre at first. If you want to, we can really try to do more research in a certain genre direction or also think about series that would make great books. Just let us know through an email or on social media at Child of the Library on Instagram. But believe me, we are quite avid series watchers. Seriously, sometimes on top of me reading and doing this podcast and him watching football and movies, as I said, I cannot watch all of them with him, I'm sometimes pleasantly surprised that we still find the time to watch series and movies together so much. I'm really, really surprised sometimes. So please keep in mind that if you want to go down that rabbit hole, things can spiral from there and if you end up spending the next weeks chained to your couch because you fall in love with all the great series we can recommend, please don't blame us, this is totally on you guys. But now, let's move on to the other way around, where I talk about books that would make fantastic movie adaptations and, for unknown reasons to me, somehow have not been picked up and executed yet. If you have not already done that, check out my Instagram at Child of the Library, because there you will get little sneak peeks of the next episode's content, leading up to an upload Sunday. As you might know, I publish a new episode every two weeks on Sundays. If you are already a follower, there you might have already seen this, but the first book I want to talk about is Strange the Dreamer by Lainey Taylor. I don't know who in my audience has read this book, so I will give a short synopsis because it is actually a very, very good duology and especially one that you should not know too much about going into it because this is what I did and I was so blown away by the story. We follow Laszlo Strange, who is a librarian in his hometown. He is relatively content with his life centered around books and the gathering of knowledge. And one particular topic that has caught his attention is the forgotten city of Weep. Now you might think that this is a funny name for a city, but the story behind the name is quite tragic because originally it was called something different, but through some unknown force, nobody remembers the old name of the city anymore. And what makes it even more strange is that Laszlo can remember the exact moment when this, let's call it power for now, made everyone forget it. Because as he was already very interested in this city when he was young, he was making pretend that he would be going there. And in the state of playing, with the name still in his mind, he felt it slipping away. And when he tried to say the city's name, only weep came out. And turns out it was the same for everyone around him too. So this whole mystery has captivated him ever since and really has made him dedicate his life to research of this city. His dreams seem to be fulfilled when an envoy from the city of Weep arrives and asks for help. So he travels to the city and this is where the story really kicks off. Literally, what I just told you maybe encompasses the first two or three chapters. And after that, this story will transport you into this new world and all the wondrous things happening that I implore you to not get spoiled, but discover it for yourself. As this is such a deep story that starts in one way and ends in a totally different direction. And when you look back at the end, you are like, 
wow, that escalated quickly. I could imagine something along the lines of Avatar movies back then. Something similar in scale and production. And even though there are just two books, I think you could totally split the story a bit further into more movies so that you really encapsulate all that this fantastical tale of Laszlo and his journey offers. Great book, everyone. Can only recommend. And if you read it, please let me know whether you think the same way as I about the movie adaption. The next book, finally, is something for our contemporary fans out there who so far have not been represented on this list. And that is With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. Elizabeth Acevedo is a very praised author for young adult stories, not only because they are really good, but also because she's a poet and some of her books are written in verse, which was a great combination that really hit the reading scene in the US at the perfect time a few years ago, as it gave poetry a fresher image and also showed how well it can fit into traditional storytelling, if done right. In With the Fire on High, we follow our main character Imani, who got pregnant while she still was in high school, and she is now balancing school life and being there for her daughter. The one passion that she has is cooking, and whenever she's in the kitchen and puts the pot on the stove, she's totally in her element, and all of her dishes taste very, very special. But even though she would love to work as a chef, she's not really giving it too much hope, based on the fact that she wants to be there for her daughter. But when her high school offers a more professional-oriented cooking class, she's after some convincing, trying herself out in this new environment, and we get to know her journey of self-discovery, balancing her career wishes with her family life and making all the tough decisions that other people her age are not encountering yet. I know that this topic might not be for everyone, but if this is not your cup of tea, just try out another of Elizabeth Acevedo's books. Her writing style is very accessible and I'm sure you would find a story of interest for you. But why do I think this particular story would make a good movie? Because through this book you get a deeper insight of Amani's thinking about cooking and what ingredients to put into and I can totally imagine how this would translate into some high quality food shots in the movie so that you could practically taste it on your tongue already and want to head to the next restaurant after you saw the film. Also for everyone who wants a sneak peek at the aesthetic of the book, as always, I will include the cover in my Instagram podcast highlight. But guys, the cover in itself is gorgeous. But if you take the dust jacket of the hardcover copy, the actual book is so beautifully designed with fruits and bright colors. I will try to find a picture of the naked book and put it in the highlight as well. And if you have a strong female actor as a character in the leading role in combination with the great food visuals, I'm sure that this would make a fantastic movie for an afternoon on the weekend where you can enjoy yourself and either cook something afterwards or treat yourself to a nice takeout order or go to a restaurant in post-COVID times. 
Hello everyone, editing Marika jumping in here real quickly because I wanted to give you some news on this. Actually, when I posted about With the Fire on High being one of my top picks for a contemporary adaption, the author wrote me back and told me that actually we are going to get an adaptation, very probably. She's already working on it, but of course she can't really say when it will come out or what it is already. But this is very exciting news, so just wanted to let you know that this is definitely coming. And last, but of course not least on my list, is the four-book Stalking Jack the Ripper series by Carrie Maniscalco. I personally think that this series is heavily underrated and not enough people talk about it, so I will do so here on my platform. In this series we follow our two main characters, Audrey Rose Wadsworth and Thomas Cresswell, who have one great passion in common – murder investigation, doing post-mortems and everything of that sort. Mind you, it is the Victorian London, so while Thomas is very well respected for his endeavors in this field, society would much rather bind Audrey Rose to tea gatherings, needlework and other activities that were appropriate for women at the time. She got into this peculiar hobby through her uncle, who is doing post-mortems for the police, and while of course having his doubts about Audrey Rose ever being able to find footing in this profession, he still finds it fascinating that his niece shares his love for this particular craft. Through this, Thomas and Audrey Rose meet and are entangled not only in the ongoing investigation of the Jack the Ripper murders, but also in each other's lives. This series is so enjoyable, it marries crime novel elements with Victorian England propriety and the banter and the angst between the two main characters is so on point. And what I also love so much about this series, apart from the exquisite characters, is especially the scenery, as we are in a different place in each of the four books and see how they travel in these times. I cannot recommend this series enough and believe me, if you have the right actors with a great energy between them and some awesome costume and set designer for the atmosphere around it, it could become a great hit. But it is probably more something for an on-demand service to be honest, because it is quite a niche of a topic, but within that niche it would work so very well. So that was it guys, my fiancés and my take on cross-media adaptations between books and movies. As I said, this is just the tip of the iceberg, so if you have any particular genre you are interested in or just want us to do a part 2 of this episode, just let us know. Moving on from, but still in the mindset of cross-media adaptations, welcome to the next chapter of Meet the Character. Today I want to talk about a young woman who is a hacker and virtual reality bounty hunter in the book duology Warcross by Marie Lu. I am talking about Emika Chen. I am a big fan of Emika, I think she is navigating her life fairly well for all the hardship that was thrown her way and I think her character is a very good perspective to really dive into the world of Warcross. Because if you did not know, Warcross in these books is a virtual reality game that grew so popular and the features of the technology surrounding the game were more and more expanded so that it has become increasingly interwoven with the reality. 
People pay with workforce credits in real life. The former solely virtual reality was extended to also become an augmented reality experience if you put on the special glasses and this overarching technology called the Neuralink, which is what keeps it all together, is Emika's forte to hack and sort of chase the bad guys as a bounty hunter. Because naturally, where there is a subculture forming around the technology, there is also a criminal underbelly developing. She's very strong, she knows her way around, but she also opens up to friendships and is just a very enjoyable character to read from. I can tell you if you like video games and sort of an investigative plotline, you will love these books and fly through them because the author Marie Lou also crafts the plotline so well that you don't want to put it down. But why did I choose Emika for this particular episode? When you think of gaming and books, especially young adult books, you will come across one that was turned into a movie a couple of years back, which is called Ready Player One. And to be honest, I don't think the movie was the best. <laughs> I had such high hopes for it, but I just felt like it was a bit overdone and they tried a bit too much, let's put it at that. And Warcross is a book that I so, so hope gets a visual adaptation of whatever sort someday. And hopefully it will be very masterfully done and leaning a bit more towards the Matrix rather than Ready Player One, to be honest. Oh, that would be such a great adaption. Seriously, read it if you haven't and this virtual reality plot sounds somewhat interesting to you. We have talked quite a bit now about very exciting movies, very good books and how the genres can really benefit from each other. But what if we think about this for a minute? Because I had a question submitted to me that actually fits this overall topic really, really well. And that is, do book to movie adaptations ruin our fantasy? I personally don't think so. I always think that if you are someone who thinks that it is extremely important to create your own world up front before you watch someone else's interpretation of it, then go ahead and definitely read the book first and watch the movie later. But I also think that, especially growing up, it is of course important to grow your own abilities and your own sort of mental library of possibilities and fantasies in order to give your own interpretation of the world. And I think it is very important to do that, which is why I also believe we have to make reading more attractive to younger audiences these days. But I also think that in order to grow your own imagination and fantasy, you need a stimulus from outside to see how others took the same text they read as you and probably have their focus on very different things. This is not only exclusive to fantasy, but also as a general life lesson that people read or hear technically the same thing, but what they pull out from it or what they make out of it can vary drastically. And when you learn to accept that from an early age and also use it to broaden your own horizons, then it can really benefit you for your creativity and also for your life in general. So no, 
I don't think that as long as there's a certain amount of reading the text first, having your own opinion and picture of it, and then seeing the movie adaption is harmful for our fantasy. Even if you do it the other way around. I saw the Aragon movie first, for example, and thought it was actually okay. And then I read the books and was shocked by how in retrospect my opinion of that movie has changed because I imagined it totally differently. So either way, as long as you form your own opinions and think about what you see, I think it is not disruptive, but rather beneficial for yourself to have an input from both mediums. Of course, if you just watch movies and never read the books to them, that is a very different choice. And you do you, you know? But if you combine the mediums, it will in the long run do you more good than harm, I think. Wow. <laughs> That got really deep, really fast, didn't it? So this is it, everyone. My ninth podcast episode is at a close. I can't believe we are nearly in the double digits, guys. If you have got any questions, recommendations or suggestions, just write me on Instagram or through email. I would love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed this cross-media approach. Let me know if you have any adaption wishes that did not come to pass yet, but would work also super well in another medium. And until next time, I hope that we discover the words on our shelves and in our hearts. Bye!